Hey guys, before we start the show, I want to talk directly to all the youth sports leaders out there. Have you ever had to get creative with how you handle replacing a lost jersey or help that new kid get a uniform well past the ordering window? Are you tired of handing out gear, managing orders, and stashing boxes in the basement? Hey, Squad Locker's here to change the game for you. Through our custom online store, you can offer a mix of custom sublimated, printed, and embroidered uniforms, plus team gear and spirit wear, all in one spot. Your always open store can serve coaches, players, parents, and fans directly and on demand, allowing for a seamless process from preseason to your championship run. Check out squadlocker.com forward slash suit up. That's squadlocker.com forward slash suit up to learn more. And now, on with the show. You're listening to On The Whistle, the podcast that explores the impact that coaches, teachers, and mentors from youth sports organizations and schools have on young people's lives. Here's our host and Squad Locker CEO, Gary Goldberg. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, welcome to another edition of On The Whistle. We've got an interesting guest today in a sport that we have yet to cover. Today, I'm excited to introduce Adam Sloan. Adam is the founder and director of an organization called Life Serve Youth Foundation. Um, And it focuses on tennis, tennis as a way to help young athletes find uh, their path of fulfillment in life, in in general speaking. Um, Adam has had, you know, quite a successful career out a professional career outside of of his uh love and passion for tennis um he's the founder of sloan partners which is an executive recruitment firm he's placed thousands of executives in lots of really interesting fields and and very you know high-powered positions Uh, adam has a ba from old dominion and as i already said is the founder of life served youth foundation which is a sleepaway camp that transforms the lives of young kids. But Adam's journey wasn't always so easy. Adam was born with a rare genetic uh, illness called Goucher's disease. And um, I know that created a a real complex beginning of your journey. And so, uh, Adam, welcome to the show. We're going to want to explore all these different topics and and probably some others that come up. Great. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's it's nice to have you. It's nice to see you. so let's just start a little bit with your childhood and, and, and Goucher's disease. It sounds to me like Goucher's disease from just some really not too deep investigation is a disease that delays the development, both physical and mental development of someone who's growing or growing up. Is that how you would uh, describe it? It, it? That's one of the the symptoms of it, but or the characteristics, but uh, it's a, it's one of the rarest genetic diseases in the world. Uh, the pronunciation is a little unusual. It's Gaucher's. It was developed uh, or discovered by a French scientist. And it was so rare that uh, my pediatrician noticed that I had an enlarged spleen and very low platelet counts. And they actually thought I had cancer and put me into a cancer hospital uh, in Norfolk, Virginia. And they ran various tests on me and were trying to figure out what was going on. 
So uh, my parents, as you can imagine, were pretty terrified. Uh, my mom had just lost her mother to leukemia a year ago. So, uh, but not all of the tests were coming out showing I had leukemia or cancer. And then it was discovered by an intern who learned about it in a class of this very rare genetic disease. And, uh, you know, I, I began my journey with it, essentially. Uh, went to the National Institute of Health and had a lot of tests run. Um, but these symptoms as a child would be, I had a very enlarged spleen, so my stomach stuck out, you know, stuck out. And I would bruise easily and had fatigue issues. Um, and later I learned that I would have growth issues. So I really was about two to three years behind other kids physically. Uh, and my parents were so, it was so rare. They weren't sure if they should let me play sports or I had to be very careful because they were afraid essentially that my spleen would burst and I die. So it's kind of the, the beginning parts. I'm happy to answer any in more detail. So for those of you who can't see um, Adam on on the video, and I'm meeting him for the first time, you look like I look. You have a full beard. You look like a normal height. You're sitting in a car seat. You're so for me today, I wouldn't know that you had this. Is so how how did you get to where you are versus where you began? Yeah, it's it's interesting. They really learned a lot about it when I was a kid and developed a treatment for it. Um, but I didn't start my treatment until I was 25 years old. Uh, and it, at some point uh, I was a very active kid and come from a very athletic family. My father was a boxer. My brother's very athletic. My mom's athletic. And I was a kid with loads of energy who wanted to do stuff and wasn't allowed. Um, so uh, finally they let me play tennis and I instantly fell in love. I was on this court by myself, you know, playing with someone else. And it became this place that I felt very safe. And I quickly learned that if I worked really hard, practiced every day, that I could get really good in playing tennis. And I did. I ended up uh, playing on my high school team, uh, played number one singles for two years and led our high school team to the Virginia State Championship which we were the first high school in Virginia beach to ever do that. And I barely got a division one tennis scholarship. So, uh, to a smaller division one school, uh, wasn't supposed to start my first year and ended up playing number two, uh, in singles and number one doubles. So, um, uh, but grew very late. So I was uh, five foot three, when I was 16 and 17, and then by the time I graduated college, I was 5'10", uh, 160, uh, but I was like 5'3", 115 pounds in high school. So um, fortunate, fortunately, at around 25 years old, they uh, had this drug called Cerazyme, uh, which is an enzyme replacement uh, drug, and it, it it really is considered to be one of the drugs that created the biotech industry because they were able to create a synthetic enzyme to replace the defective one I had and really help a lot of kids that like me and, and others uh, have a much healthier 
uh, fully balanced life. Most people until that time were not able to hold down jobs, uh, had a lot of fatigue issues, and um, it really was a total game and life changer. Uh, it immediately gave me more energy. And, you know, in terms of sports, I actually got stronger in tennis in my 20s and 30s because my energy level and strength was even better. So, uh, you know, and fortunately, uh, you know, I did have some fatigue issues as an adult, uh, but very, very minor. And uh, I was really able to do everything and anything anybody else could. But uh, I'm happy to share the part about tennis because that's really the big thing. Yeah, so uh, I'm just interesting as, as we get to tennis, though, because I think it's a, I'm suspecting that it's a backdrop on why you felt that you wanted to make an impact on other children who may be disadvantaged during their childhood. What was the um, mental framework like for you as a young kid with these um, blocks, blockades, if you will, towards success? And how did that shape the way you thought about or saw the world? Yeah. No, it's a good question. Uh, it's interesting. I really, as a kid and even a, you know, a, a young teenager, I saw the world that I wasn't a fit for it. And I likely wasn't going to play a role, you know, in helping to improve it or reaching for my own personal goals that my time on, you know, earth was really temporary. And we had heard, I had heard my parents talking at night and I heard some of the doctors talking that they thought I might be in a wheelchair or use a cane for the rest of my life. And, um, so that was really tough, but you know, I, I, I just had this determination that I learned in tennis and, and I always tell people tennis taught me everything in life. So because I played at the rec center and I played every day for three or four hours and I out practiced and outworked everybody and was incredibly disciplined because it was the only thing I had. So, you know, I really learned that if I worked incredibly hard, uh, like I did in tennis that, you know, I could do anything I want in this life and no one could really, no one could prevent me from working hard at something and, and working towards something that I love. And, and that's what I did. And so I, you know, as I said, you know, tennis really gave me the foundation for everything in life. And, you know, even today, you know, I, you know, even starting the, the nonprofit LifeServe Youth Foundation, a lot of people said I probably shouldn't do that. You know, there's not an existing sleepaway tennis camp for underserved kids now. So, uh, but I wanted to pass along, you know, how lucky I was and all the advantages I had from everything I learned from tennis to these kids. So. Adam, it sounds like you have, you've had a, you know, very successful professional career. And at some point in that career, you had a calling to serve, you know, your, your fellow citizens. Um, what did that calling sound like when it showed up? <laughs> that's, that's uh, super interesting because I remember speaking with a good friend of mine in Miami. I was living in Miami at the time and I was just telling her that, you know, I built my business, things are going great. Uh, and that I always wanted to start this 
this, I had this vision of doing this tennis camp, this sleepaway tennis camp for basically poor kids that wouldn't have this kind of opportunity. And I always thought I would do it in my sixties and I was only, uh, probably 48, 49 at the time. And she said, well, why aren't you doing it now? And I didn't have a good response to her. And she was like, maybe you should start working on that now. And I did. So, uh, yeah, got the ball rolling on this and, uh, have, I, I've been lucky to work with a couple of great people in building it and getting it started. And then just really worked on developing, uh, partnerships with other organizations. Uh, we partner with organizations that have, uh, programs in their cities for underserved kids and they play tennis. Um, and we take a lot of those organizations from, and we focus on New York and Boston and, um, worked with and spoke with those organizations. And ultimately those kids came up to our camp. Uh, most of them have never left their towns. So most of them had really never left New York city or Boston, uh, certainly never gone to the mountains and experienced an incredible five-star sleepaway camp before. So, yeah. And, and, and I know, Tennis is the is the medium, but I'm suspecting there's a lot more to learn at your camp than just the game of tennis. Um, you know, you talk uh, on your website, which and I want to find it. It's lifeservetennis.org. Lifeservetennis.org if you want to learn more about Adam's program. But uh, on that website, it talks about um, self-awareness, relationship skills, and self-management. So... Uh, how did you come up with a framework of more than just tennis lessons? Yeah. So the goal, the goal never was to just teach tennis. The goal was, you know, we, we say transforming, you know, using tennis to transform the lives of youth. And it's, it's, it's somewhat my story, but we also worked with different people in education. So we implemented this social emotional learning SEL and uh, and we decided also to think about like, what do we really want these kids to leave with when they leave our camp? Um, and so it's, you know, we wanted them to improve their tennis and their love of tennis brought them to the camp, but we also have, um, this social emotional learning, which is basically integrating the skills and attitudes and their behaviors. Um, you know, also like as an example, we learned and we implemented it at our camp you know, instead of saying great shot or great match, we say, you know, great effort, great hustle. Um, because when a kid hears great shot or great match or great game, they hear that over and over again, and it really doesn't have that much meaning to them. But if you're saying way to hustle for that ball, or it's so great to see all of your hard work paying off, they hear that. So, uh, all of our people who are tennis coaches and counselors implement that style with our kids. Um, um, and then we also teach our kids a lot about self-awareness um, and self-management um, and relationship skills. So we start our mornings off uh, at breakfast, but then we do a meditation. And, you know, these are young kids and you're trying to get, you know, young boys and girls to stay still for two minutes in a meditation. It's not that easy. 
but we explain why we're doing it. And so when you say Serena Williams or Roger Federer, they do meditation and here's why. So we teach them that you're going to make bad shots. You're going to make errors. You're going to have disappointing games and matches. Um, but, but your job is to be aware of that point. And for, for us, we teach them to quickly turn around and regroup and focus on the next point. So in the meditation, we have a lot of visualizing and uh, visualization techniques that we use. Um, and then they, uh, after breakfast, they journal what they might be thinking about and what some of their goals are for the day. Uh, they do goal setting. Uh, then they come back and they're ready to practice and we play four hours a day and, and the level is incredibly intense. So our top players get basically college level training. I mean, it is very high level training, both footwork and tennis technique. We have an amazing uh, board member and instructor who was a, uh, a junior Davis cup player from India uh, super funny, amazingly motivating, great player. And the kids are just glued to him. So, um, so high level, you know, meditation, journaling, goal setting, high level practice. Then we teach, you know, we have mentors. So the older kids get a chance to mentor the younger kids. We teach them about leadership skills and what a leader is. And we give them each an opportunity to be a leader in different situations. Uh, we talk about healthy eating, um, talk about giving back to their own communities. Uh, we have a day where we focus on the environment and basically this is also tricky. We, uh, have them sit down about 10 feet away from each other, uh, in a beautiful mountainside area where they can hear birds and all sounds of nature. And, uh, it's incredible that these kids actually embrace all of this and love it. So at first it feels weird and they're fidgety and then they just get into the mode. So, and then we have nutty amounts of fun. So there are go-karts there, there's rock climbing. I'm sorry, there's a, a kind of a, a rock wall that they can climb. There's basketball, uh, there's arts and crafts. It, it's basically a sleepaway camp where very wealthy kids go at all other times of the year. And for two weeks a year, we lease that space and these kids have an experience like a very wealthy kid. So at the end of, at the end of the camp, you know, the goal is that these kids have seen, you know, their level of tennis improve dramatically and their ability to communicate with other kids and all these other areas that they're improving in. And they learn that, you know, if they work really hard in anything, they can do anything they want in this world. And we tell them, don't let anybody tell you you can't do something and don't hang around people that tell you that. So I like uh, that. That's, that's good advice. There's a, uh, on your website, lifeservetennis.org forward slash impact. There's a nice uh, visual framework of the social emotional learning module that you guys use talks about the meditation, the self practice of awareness and the journaling and things like that. So I know there's a lot of coaches and mentors that listen to this podcast. And if you want to, actually read about and see that in practice uh, again lifeservetennis.org forward slash impact adam um do you prepare some of these campers for college placement are you 
making an impact and, and, you know, helping any of these kids actually develop their game to the point where they can get recruited? Absolutely. That, so that's a our, huge our, gate opening for some of these communities and some of some of these kids. I mean, that's a massive, massive opportunity for these young people. Yeah, we do both. I mean, so we have last the last camp we had, of course, COVID hit. Um, but the last camp we had had 72 kids. And I would say probably seven or eight of them either received a tennis scholarship or will be receiving a tennis scholarship. And we have one or two that have a really good chance of becoming a professional. Wow. Um, amazingly, the kid that probably has the most potential of going pro didn't win our final tournament for two years because he was 12 his first year and 13 his second year. And we have really amazing players. So uh, they get incredible training. We speak with them, you know, throughout the year. We try to speak with them throughout the year. Um, but we also bring in um, uh, college prep people. So people that can talk about uh, available uh, scholarships, grants. Um, you'd think these kids would know this, you know, inside and out, but they don't. And so we really go over um, what they might be eligible for, for grants, um, and really talk about, uh, you know, we have a fun, a fun session on uh, managing your money. And uh, a lot of these kids have no idea how much things cost. So uh, that's a lot of fun to do that and why it's important to manage your money and develop good credit and things like that. But, um, you know, we, we talk to them and are available to them to help them uh, as they do college applications. Uh, since then, I mean, one of our most recent kids, Andrew, uh, an absolute genius and an amazing kid, got accepted in Harvard, Stanford, Yale, Princeton. Wow. Uh, an amazing, an amazing talent. He's a very good tennis player, but he's going on a, uh, on a scholarship because his, you know, he's an exceptional student. Um, but you know, I've, I've loved writing letters of recommendations for kids and some of our coaches uh, who are taking the next steps towards really trying to create a great life for themselves. And uh, yeah, that's been super rewarding. And then just following up with them and knowing that, you know, we're absolutely changing the trajectory of a lot of these kids lives. You know, they're going one way, you know, unfortunately you know, quite a few of them have parents that tell them, you know, they're stupid or they're not going to make it or, you know, why are you even trying to do this? And it's not easy for us to overcome that when a parent's saying that, but these kids do it. I mean, not all of them, but they have support from one another. The New York kids are meeting kids from Boston. The Boston kids are meeting from New York, which they think is like completely cool. Mm. And they stay friends and they definitely are going to develop lifelong friendships out of this. So what are some of the other uh, hindrances or structural inequalities that you see uh, when your campers arrive? So it sounds to me that there's perhaps a, a belief in some of their neighborhoods that it's just hard here. And that's the way there is. That's the way there is. And there's no getting out maybe. Yeah. Uh, what, what are some of the other things that, that you see that, that you're working on? fixing. Yeah, I think, 
I think really, you know, we created a mentor program. So it's like when you were a kid or I was a kid, you know, you hear adults talk about what you should do all the time. And, but what we've done is we've created mentors. And so you'll have a 17 year old kid go over to a new kid who's very nervous and shy and unsure of themselves and really work with them and check in with them every day and talk, sit down and talk to them. Um, and that really has helped a lot. It helps kids get into a good space and, and be prepared to be open to learning and listening. I think that's been really helpful. Um, I think understanding in terms of the financial piece, uh, these kids don't know how much rent is because oftentimes their families aren't actually writing a, a rent check. So when you say, they say they want to get a one bedroom apartment in Manhattan and we say, well, how much is that going to cost? And they say $600 or $700. That might be because they've heard that might be the part of the check that a parent wrote. So, um, uh, you know, we're, they don't really talk a lot about finances with yeah, their parents. Financial literacy. Financial literacy. So we definitely have that. Um, that's a lot of fun. Um, also, I think, you know, around safety. So one of the board members we have, um, we really is a uh, Boston police officer. And he comes in with a New York police chief. And he is a senior uh, police officer in Boston. And we go over uh, interaction with, with police and how to have effective conversations and how you should respond if you're pulled over or you're stopped. And we go through these exercises and it's really fascinating to see, you know, what, how the kids respond. And, you know, you say, shout out five words when you think of a police officer. And a lot of the words are just very honest, you know, police brutality, you know, um, you know, pushing us around, you know, bully, not bullying, not respecting us, um, you know, that kind of thing. So there's this dialogue between three police officers and kids in a very safe space. And the police officers make it very clear. Our goal is to, um, to interact with you and have dialogue, um, which, and ultimately, create a safe place for you to speak with police officers in the future, but also uh, that you'll, you'll be safe as you grow, grow up and, and face different challenges. And, and I think you and I both know uh, kids of color face far different challenges than, sure. you know, a white kid. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Adam, it sounds to me like this may be the first time in many of these young children's lives that they're being acknowledged in a way that someone sees a limitless life for them as opposed to a limited life for them. And completely. And that acknowledgement yeah, sounds really powerful. I'm just curious, just sitting here talking and listening to the story you're telling, if you could share with me what it looks like when a child feels acknowledged in a different way for the first time, what is, is it a just, is it as simple as a smile? Is it a, uh, renewed enthusiasm for focus and attention. Like what happens when, when that child gets acknowledged like that? What happens is they're more willing to speak up 
and they're more willing to take risks in what they say and what they ask. Uh, and they do totally smile and you can see it in their face, you know, their eyes light up. And instead of being in this relationship, you know, teenager to adult, they feel like they can actually have a conversation and their, their feelings and their thoughts and questions are valid uh, and real. And, and as we all know, you know, when you're hearing questions from kids, they're so raw and they're often, you know, spot on. So, um, so it, it's, it's been fun seeing them change from a, from operating with, with so much fear to being open to things and, and seeing themselves improve. I mean, our stories of the camp are unbelievable. Uh, we have a kid, I'm not going to mention her name because it's unusual who came to us with her first year. She was having nightmares every night. She was keeping a lot of the campers up and she just graduated during our last camp and, uh, she won one of our top awards as a camper. Um, and, and when she came in, you know, not a lot of kids liked her. She was crying all the time because she wasn't playing at a high level or the level she wanted to play at. And when she missed a shot, she'd just be down on herself constantly. And she's still, you know, kind of tough, but she's a totally different person. And our camp, I would say completely changed her and she has a lot of friends. She's more confident about herself. I didn't know until her last two years that she also was a straight A student and she's super smart. Um, I'm actually working with her a little bit on, she does art. She does some artwork and we're doing a really cool art project. It sounds, I'm being a little confidential because it's very creative mm-hmm. And um, really uh, taking uh, a lot of famous figures and that are white and, you know, the historical figures and, and making them black. Cool. And it's pretty amazing. There really are very few famous black figures, right? You look back at history and there, there are not that many. Most of them are white. So um, we're having fun with that. And, you know, these kids are telling me how they're doing in college and, you know, that makes me super excited. Uh, so, and they have really, their goals are not to get a job. You know, their goals are, I want to be a software engineer. You know, I want to go into artificial intelligence and work at a robot, robotics factor, you know, company. Uh, I want to be a lawyer. I want to do, you know, whatever they want to do. They're dreaming big. And so we really also teach them to dream big and, you know, reach for the stars. So uh, I'm hoping that I'm hoping that uh, takes shape. It sounds like, uh, you know, you've transformed a lot of lives. I'm curious over the course of, of the camp's history, how many kids have attended and, and what is your sense of total impact? How many lives have, uh, has the camp helped? Yeah. So we've, we've had between 50 and 72 kids over the course of five camps. We had a tough decision to make, you know, do we, do we have kids come in one year and try to make a great impact on them for two weeks? Or do we let these kids 
that are 12, 13, 14, 15 come back until they age out. And we made the decision to have the kids come back. I like that. Um, yeah, it just, it, it seems like two weeks you can learn a lot, but then you can forget it. And, you know, although now we have a, a serious waiting list to come to our camp, um, and we have a waiting list because we function totally on the amount of money we raise. Uh, so we only, you know, could do, could have 72 kids last year. Um, uh, you have enough funding to do 50 to 72 kids. What does it cost to fund a camper? And if people want to donate, how do they do it? Yeah, with everything, you know, we, we literally pay for everything. So transportation from New York and Boston, uh, all of their food, all of their health care, um, uh, all the tennis training. Uh, you know, we have counselors that come. Uh, so it costs uh, about $3,800 per kid to go to our camp um, because we're also paying the existing sleepaway camp. Um, so uh, certainly, you know, our growth is a function of how we raise money and people can, can donate. I think you mentioned it before, uh, but lifeservetennis.org forward slash donate. Yeah. And there's a big donate tab in the top of the navigation bar too. So you can find it pretty easily. Appreciate you saying that. So, um, and I'm imagining you'll take everything from a dollar to a million dollars. No amounts too small. We do. We do. And, uh, we have different fundraisers and we have a group of people who've been supporting us the entire time that have been pretty amazing. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's our goal. And, and, Quite frankly, we're also looking for people that want to get involved in our organization. So uh, we're always looking for people that want to help. And, uh, you know, we'll definitely speak with anybody that that would like to help or has ideas. Um, we're open to any of that. Yeah, I, so. I'll definitely follow up with you after the show because I'm thinking of a bunch of different people that I'd love to introduce you to that could either support you, support your cause, or maybe trade some secrets or tricks. Um, that would be incredible. I, yeah. I'll tell you one, you know, one way is, uh, you know, we have uh, sports stars where, you know, we're hoping to have different sports figures uh, come on to a Zoom or, or a Microsoft Teams, whatever it is, mm-hmm. and speak with our kids about, because it's really tennis is what brings them all there, but the same thing that a, a football player, basketball player, baseball player goes through to be, you know, the best in their craft or to, to, to be at a high level um, is the same as in tennis. So to hear somebody from the Boston Red Sox or New York Yankees and Mets, you know, or, you know, football, whatever it is, the Celtics, we would love that. So uh, the kids would be elated. Yeah, well, so. we'll, we'll definitely volunteer. Uh, we, we've got an employee by the name of Dan Copen, who's a two-time uh, yeah. Super Bowl champion. And Max, make a note. Let's follow up with Dan and, and get him on a Zoom call or let the kids have a Q&A with him, and he can share his story. He's a great motivator and a really interesting guy. You know, We'd love it. You know, and we'll make it happen. I promise you that. So, it, you know, it sounds like you're clearly – accomplished an enormous amount with this program and it feels to me almost too comprehensive and I, I'm not trying to diminish it but 
you take on so much through financial literacy, nutrition, self-awareness, meditation, journaling. Oh, by the way, I'm going to make you a great tennis player. Oh, I'm going to also tell you how to have, have a relationship with someone that you may or may not know or like. And at the end of that, you'll have a sense of self-regulation, which you probably didn't know, or self-awareness that you didn't have when you went into this. It's incredibly comprehensive in almost too little time, two weeks. That's why I, I kind of opened, yeah. up, opened up my mouth and said I like the four-year program or the extended program better because you can continue to build on the past practices. What would you... What would you share to some of our listeners who are building programs or managing programs about some of the classic mistakes that you made along the way that, you know, things to avoid as you're building out these programs or lessons learned, if you will? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the challenges was, uh, you know, thinking, okay, we're creating this amazing opportunity for all these kids. And then we approach the organizations that have all these kids and, we didn't realize how reluctant the organizations and parents were to send their kids to the mountains with an unknown group of people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so fortunately, uh, one of my best friends uh, was on the board of the WTA, the Women's Professional Tour, and she also put me in touch with Katrina Adams, who was the CEO of the USTA, and I got, to t I got a chance to spend some time with Katrina um, and Lisa highly recommended us, my friend Lisa at the WTA, and uh, that really helped provide us an entree into these organizations that then took us more seriously that we're actually going to create this incredible opportunity for their kids. Um, so everything was around safety. So, and it's still around safety. So, um, you know, we, we really have to go into detail of how we're going to create this safe environment for their kids at every level. So, um, so fortunately, I think the fact that we are leasing an existing sleepaway camp that's operated for 50 years and has an amazing nurse and um, a clinic and, you know, it, it really helped a lot. So uh, I think if they can start small and really try to get everything right instead of going big and having a million things go wrong. Uh, that might be a suggestion. Uh, I think that would be a good way to do it. Uh, I think the fact that, again, we were working with an existing sleepaway camp helped us overcome a lot. There's no way we could have done it ourselves the first year, or it would have been really tough. So there are just too many things that we weren't even aware of that might come up. It's so it, it feels to me like the tennis is the easiest part of this. And what I mean by that is um, the emotional and physical wellness around these campers, particularly the emotional wellness, because it feels to me or sounds to me like many of these kids could be potentially from at risk situations. And so yeah. how do you set yeah. that up? I mean, how do you get the like the social emotional learning module that you've put in place, where did you source that from and how do you support that? Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. You know, you mentioned that we're doing so many different things. It must be hard to do so many different things, but really, you know, the, the difference is these kids are not in school. These kids wake up at seven 30 and then we have them, we're working with them for the next 16 hours. Right. And only four of the hours are playing super high level tennis or, you know, 
where they're really exhausting themselves, they have another 12 hours to, they do lots of other activities and these kids are nonstop. So what I will say is it's interesting. A a lot of people get it confused with at risk, you know, at risk youth or disadvantaged youth. Um, But really our kids are, have two things. They're, we, we say they're underserved youth because they come from cities that have a limited amount of things for poor kids essentially to do. Mm -hmm. So our kids have one thing in common. They all come from families with limited incomes and that creates limited opportunities. We used to use the term disadvantage, but then after we saw the kids and got to know the kids, we realized these kids, you know, are not at, you know, they're, these kids come from largely good homes. So a lot of the parents are actually very engaged and, you know, some were not, I think I mentioned earlier, some were not, but a lot of the families are very engaged more so than families with, you know, that are wealthy. Uh, you know, we, uh, I've gotten to know a lot of these families and they're paying attention to everything their kids do and they're looking for opportunities for their kids and, and they ask questions of how they can improve. How's my kid doing? You know, so, um, they're, you know, I don't really consider them disadvantaged, um, because a lot of them really come from very, very loving homes. They're just poor. Right. So that's, that's a beautiful testimony to that. So, you know, Adam, it, kind of it, wrapping things up here for, for a bit, uh, it's so impressive what you've accomplished and uh, you know, the world is clearly a better place having you in, in this camp and this uh, organization in place to help those young people reach their full potential, which is really the purpose of this show is to give voice to people like you and programs like yours and to help you raise some money and to help you raise some awareness. I'm curious about, uh, you know, we ask one question as a wrap up to all of our guests and it kind of goes like this. You've clearly had, a complex journey, one with um, lots of struggles in it and lots of accomplishments, both on and off the court. What have you gained more from Adam, the wins or the losses? Oh, totally the losses. I mean, I would say 99% losses and the losses stick. You know, I don't know what your other guests have said, but I remember, you know, in high school, college, uh, I remember, I remember, all my big losses, who I played, what their names were, <laughs> mm. how I felt and what I did, you know, to try to overcome that. So, um, I think losses really help, you know, they're super tough. I mean, I'm a, I'm still a giant tennis fan and I, you know, I look at Roger Federer when he lost to Novak Djokovic, uh, the last Wimbledon he played, uh, not this one, but the, but two years ago when he had two match points and was serving for the match and, you know, he was crushed. And, uh, I think you just from the losses and mistakes you make in life, uh, you hopefully reflect on it and try not to beat yourself up too much. And then all you can really do is take the steps to try to improve. Um, you can't, change anything about the past. You can just learn from it and do your best to not make the same mistakes again. 
Well, Adam, you certainly are helping a lot of young people figure out that journey and that path to uh, self-acceptance and uh, accomplishment. So, again, if you want to learn more about uh, Adam Sloan and his program, it's lifeservetennis.org, and uh, there is a big donate button at the top there. And, Adam, if, if there's a kid or a parent listening that wants to apply for your program, how do they do that? They go to lifeservetennis.org. And uh, we have this year, we don't have applications on there, but normally we'll have applications on there. They would apply. And right now we're, we're taking kids from Boston and New York uh, and the rural areas in between. Our goal is to expand into South Florida and other areas. But again, it's a function of money. We're thinking about uh, our next camp actually bringing kids from Florida up to our camp in upstate New York. Um, so they, they apply right online. Uh, certainly we have an executive director who can answer any questions parents have. Uh, we have a lot of health forms that they'd have to fill out and be prepared. Um, but we, we do our best to get as many kids as we can into our camp. Awesome. So our, our goal is to really expand nationally because we've seen a, there's a need and B we're helping them. Yeah. And, and at, 35 or 3,800 bucks a kid. It's a massive impact relative to the cost. It sounds like a great, great use of funds. Adam, thanks so much for joining us today. And uh, again, it's lifeservetennis.org. If you want to get involved, please visit. Thanks so much, Adam. I, I can't thank you enough for having me on here. Really appreciate it. On the Whistle is powered by Squad Locker. Squad Locker is your one-stop shop for customized team apparel delivered right to your front door. To learn more, visit squadlocker.com.